everyone wants to look in the mirror and love what they see. And I'm not going to disagree with that. I just want to like add some color. Like, isn't that sad that we live in a world where society has convinced us that that's one of the most important things we can have in this world is a good reflection, specifically for women. You know, when you raise a little girl and you say, oh, you're such a pretty little girl. Your dress is beautiful. And when you see a little boy, you're like, are you a strong boy? Do you like running fast? You know, we, it's such different messaging and I I just want to encourage people to remember that how they look is actually the least interesting, least important thing about them. And looking for deep, meaningful connections in this world, I don't think those are going to be found with with people who care about your look in the mirror, but they're people who want to see you for, like you said, on the inside, what makes you the happiest. I'm Doug Bopes personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Victoria Garrick. Victoria is a former Division I volleyball player. She's a TED Talk speaker. She's a podcast host and mental health advocate. She was a four-year starter at USC, where she won a Pac-12 championship and finished her career with the five most digs in program history as a volleyball player. Today, she has well over a million followers on her social media platforms, hosts a Real Pod podcast, has a TED Talk that has been viewed over 370,000 times and has founded a mental health nonprofit called The Hidden Opponent. What is really inspiring to me about Victoria is that her platform has been built from sharing her story. You may think that her incredibly successful collegiate career would guarantee happiness for Victoria, but like so many, the external accolades didn't quite fulfill her internally and the immense pressure started to impact her mental health. During her sophomore year, Victoria found herself heavily depressed, anxious, battling an eating disorder, and experiencing body dysmorphia. She finally reached a breaking point where she decided to go to therapy and unpack what was at the root of all this. After doing so, Victoria bounced back and returned to finish her junior and senior seasons, and the rest is history. She's been on an absolute tear ever since to share her journey to help those that are experiencing similar struggles. Today, our discussion on the pod encapsulates it all. Victoria will walk you through what rock bottom looked like for her, how she healed and got to where she is today. She shares what she felt were the contributing factors that caused her mental health demise and what helped her feel empowered again when she began her transformation. We chat about Victoria's struggles with body image, why so many face difficulties with this and how to overcome it. Victoria talks about her relationship with food today and how she deals with competition in her current line of work. We discuss what inspired Victoria to start sharing her story and what she would change if she was in charge of youth sports and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Victoria Garrick to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Doug. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you because you're like on the forefront of this movement, really talking about not just mental health, but, you know, body image, how to be comfortable in your own skin when you're kind of pursuing a health journey and just also like the person that's just calling out like, 
BS online as far as like what's real, what's not when it comes to photos. And, and honestly, like just it, what I, what's really inspiring is that it really stems from your own backstory with struggling with, with all of this. And I think a good place to start is like today you have a Ted talk that's got hundreds of thousands of views. You've got, you know, well over a million followers on social media. You've got this podcast um, and you've overcome so much, but like it wasn't long ago where like your life was in the depths of despair. It seems like I think you were you know, freshman, sophomore in, in college and you, you managed to hit this massive dark place and you were heavily depressed. And so like if you could walk the audience through like not like exactly like how you got from there to where you are today, but like what caused a lot of, of those issues that you were facing back then? So much went into what I'll call like the demise of my mental health. And I think for a really long time, I felt like I always had to be achieving and succeeding and being the best. And at some point that took a toll on me. And, you know, I feel like I really hit that breaking point in college just because of the pressure that came along with playing an elite level sport, you know, for a program that's expected to win national championships and living a life that I also thought that I had wanted that would make me so happy. And that was like everything that, you know, I worked hard for. And once I got there, it was this irony of, you know, I always talk about how everyone wants to be on cloud nine, but you know, you have to stay on cloud nine. And I don't think we finish that sentence of, well, what does it mean to reach your goals? But then you have to maintain and what comes along with being there. And for me, it came along with a lot of pressure, both external and internal, as well as, you know, I didn't feel fulfilled. I spent so long trying to check these boxes that I was struggling to understand like what my purpose was and what the point of everything was. I think we all kind of hit a moment in our lives where we have kind of like an existential crisis and we're like, why are we alive? And you know, what's the point? And I really struggled with that in college and a lot of it was just overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it seemed that like a, a lot of the pressure and like, I think you experienced some body changes when you started really getting into weightlifting. Then you started to differentiate the way you looked from other girls and not just other girls, like think like other, you know, females that you aspired to look like, whether it was different models and people you saw on, on social media. So do you think like the ultimate catalyst for like the downfall of your mental health was like just at USC or could you sense something like as a teenager? I definitely look back now and I see signs and, you know, bad patterns developing when I was younger, definitely. However, at the time, I thought that was just normal. I just thought like, oh, every 14-year-old wants to be skinny and has slim quick shakes for lunch. You know, that wasn't normal. It wasn't normal to save photos of women who I thought were perfect because I wanted that inspiration to look like them, you know, but that's so normalized for young girls is to care heavily about what our appearance is and what we look like compared to everyone else. So looking back now, you know, I see how 
everything was building to kind of really send me on this spiral once I got to college. And, and that was really, it's just like the, you know, to set the scene for people who weren't athletes in college and, and might be struggling to understand like what, what was it in college that, you know, lit the fire. I mean, in high school, I was in my small hometown with my friends and family social media was just becoming a thing. Like I got Snapchat my sophomore year of high school and I had practice three days a week. I had tournaments once in a while, you know, it was, it was, you know, a lot for high school, but it was high school. And then you get to college and I had practice six days a week for almost four hours a day. Social media is everything. Everyone is documenting their life online. And you're kind of starting over because you're trying to make all these friends and you're trying to get the boys to like you and you want to have a social life. But I am traveling every single week. I have games at home or I have games I'm hopping on a plane to. So it was just kind of like this incubator of everything times 50. And I just did not have the tools to handle it. And I also didn't understand what was happening to me as I was developing anxiety as I was beginning to feel depressed, as I was starting to really struggle and battle with food. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it seems that it just all kind of came to a head. I think it was like sophomore year when you were at USC and you experienced, you started to binge eat, I think, and you started to really have these body image issues where you were starting to just lose your sense of identity. And it didn't, it wasn't about you becoming like the best athlete possible. It was like, I need to do what I can to look good. Like, it doesn't matter how it affects my performance. So if you could walk the listeners through, like, what did that look like for you? Like, what kind of things were you doing? What kind of behaviors were you engaging in? And then ultimately, like, what was that like moment that you experienced where you knew like something had to change? Yeah, there were, I mean, there's so many things I can talk about in terms of I always joke that like I was like the trifecta I had anxiety depression and being discerner you know it's like I almost don't even have time to explain you know each one of them and and how they manifested themselves but in general in my sophomore year I just was not myself I you know an example I give is like spring break comes around and that's the one week of the year everyone in college gets you know, this crazy experience. And even the volleyball team, our coach gave us spring break, which is rare. And all my teammates and friends went to Cabo and had this crazy spring break. And I went home and just laid on my parents' couch and slept and cried because I was so depressed, like even having a fun time, like I didn't even want to do that or have energy to do that. And then with food, I just had such a horrible relationship to the point where I was, you know, either restricting and not allowing myself to have the nutrients and fuel that I needed so that when I was at my peak anxiety and my peak depressed state, I would just lose myself in food because it was that thing I wasn't allowed to have. It was forbidden. And it was also this way that I could find comfort. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so much that's like intertwined in there and it's, and it's super common, right? That people, they experience anxiety around something that's going on. Like I know for me, part of my anxiety came from being picked on at school or not feeling enough or being actually the one who was cut from the sports teams and experiencing my parents getting divorced and then gaining weight. And then it's like, I need to numb this really fast. And initially it was with food. 
And then I, what's, what does that do? I mean, ultimately it feels good in the moment, but then it just prolongs the inevitable. And I started to gain more weight and create more anxiety. And then that led me down the path of, of drug addiction and it nearly cost me my life. So there's, there's people that are listening to this that are like right on the cusp of potentially falling down that deep, dark path of like depression, anxiety to where, you know, it, maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they're people that are just scrolling on social media now and they're having these thoughts like, man, I wish I looked like that person or man, I wish I looked like that person or why don't these clothes fit? And they're just feeling like less than. So like, what would you, like, what advice would you have wanted like back at that time for yourself that you think might resonate with the audience? Something that helped me start to feel empowered again is to ask big questions. And when you talk about like, you know, disliking our image, there's something to be said about, okay, well, why don't I like this? Mm. Who told me I, I couldn't look this way or that I was supposed to look a different way? Why is that the way we're supposed to look? And what happens if, if I don't look that way? And I just started, especially with body image and the beauty standard to really question like where this messaging comes from. And you eventually, you know, spoiler, you get to a point where you realize that this standard of beauty is very unattainable for many. It's very Eurocentric. It's, it's most of the time can't be achieved without lots of money, time, plastic surgery, and also the validation that we're seeking through possibly looking a certain way is never going to be given to us. You might have people say, oh, you look super good if you lose weight or, you know, you might have that one person like you, but you're always going to be trying to win over a person or an audience or a voice. That's never going to be one. And I think an example of this is just, you know, the way that anything in life, like we seek validation, but we don't always get it. So for example, if I, you know, see that, oh, it's really in right now to have these beautiful, big, luscious lips and I go get filler and I go try to make my lips look this way. And then, you know, some people will say, oh my God, you know, your lips look great. Other people will say, oh my God, you know, your lips are too big. Or, you know, now people think that that looks fake and everyone wants this because the standard will change. And then you will learn the new standard and you'll try to uh, attain that. And so there's just no end. And the only way that we can feel like we've reached a finish line or we can be satisfied is if we grant ourselves that permission. And it's a permission that, I can't give anyone that no one else can give you, but it's you having to get to a point where enough is enough and you're willing to take steps towards accepting that this is where you are today. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad, but this is just where you are. Right. I think acceptance is so important with no matter where you're at in life. And I think that's what you're right. I think that's what gets people, I think is they're feeling like this sense of shame because they're feeling a certain way and they're like, why am I feeling depressed or why am I feeling anxious? And that gets them caught up in this additional toxic cycle and their thoughts take over and they end up making like even worse decisions that put them in a, in a bad spot in life because they just didn't get to that place where they could accept that this is just where you're at and it's okay to be there, but it's just not okay. I mean, at least if you won't, you probably won't be okay with staying there because your life, you know, won't get any better. Um, and I know like one of the things where that it really helped you 
was, was therapy. I know you like had sought out like one of your teammates and just opened up and, and really practiced some, some vulnerability. And then she had, had mentioned that she saw like a psychologist and that was really a, a gateway to you. So talk about, about your experience with, with therapy and, and how it helped you like really shift your, a lot of things in your life that it really allowed you to, I guess, to, to come back and return for your junior year at volleyball. Well, I keep coming back to questions because I never really thought to explore what really made me the way that I am and why I cared so much about certain things and what would be on the other side of a situation if it didn't go my way. And I just can, I mean, I, when I think back on like my mental health struggles, and I don't know if you feel this way, Doug, but some things are blurry, right? Like you're like, we when did this happen? And what did I say? Because it's like part of you you know, blocked out that time or can't really remember. And I have this vague memory of like a session and I remember what the setting looked like. And I, we just went back to kind of like high school and middle school. And, you know, my therapist was like, well, why do you have to win and be the best at everything? And I was just like, well, cause I am the best, you know? And she's like, well, why? Like, why do you have to be the best? And what happens if you're not? And I know it sounds simple, but I just literally never explored a scenario where I wasn't achieving at an extremely high level. And I think a lot of it, you know, as we, as I explore it now, it comes from, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, everyone was, had their kids were doing all these amazing things. And, you know, my parents were not like strict and they would have loved me if I failed and I wasn't the best, but I just loved the pat on the back and the praise every time I did. And I craved that. And and so in therapy, I really started to, to, to dig into some of these um, parts of who I was to explore like the meaning and if it is that important. And also, you know, what is on the other side of not getting what we want in life? I just couldn't fathom a world where I wasn't a starter or I wasn't top of my class, whatever it was. And through therapy, I start to realize that I'm going to be okay if, if I'm not the best or if I'm not constantly winning and achieving. And that took so much weight off my back because I felt like I could finally breathe and know that if, if this didn't work out for me, I would be okay. And in a cool way too, that gives you confidence as you approach whatever it is you're doing. And I also had to unlearn a lot of sports culture is, you know, for lack of a better term, right? Like, you know, there should be no plan B, like it's when we win, not if we win. And you start to think, huh, that's a pretty unhealthy mindset that I have to win at all costs. And if I don't win, you know, that that's the only option because that means, and Michael Gervais has said this to me before, you know, if you have a win at all costs mindset, only a plan A, he said, then every time you step up to the plate, your life is at stake. And could you imagine trying to perform at your highest level if you thought your life was at stake when you stepped on the court or stepped on the field? And that's how it felt for me, because I thought that this was the only option. When you start to entertain the idea that, oh, hey, it might not go my way, or maybe I'm going to lose or make a mistake because I'm human and humans lose and make mistakes. And on the other side of that, I'll go home and I'll be okay. And my family will still be there for me and I'll still find joy and happiness in life and I'll still smile eventually. Well, then I walk into the game knowing that no matter the outcome, I'm going to be fine. And that gives me freedom in the moment to step into my abilities and my practice and try to perform my best. 
you said so much there that I think is going to really resonate with the audience. And I think at the end of the day, like one of the things that, that therapy can do is it, it forces you to look within. And a lot of people, they might find that through journaling. They might find that just through meditation, but there's a lot of people that that takes some practice where we, where you can go to a therapist's office and if you have the right person and they can ask you certain questions or you can ask certain questions, you can really start to unpack like what makes you tick. And I think once you do that, you're able to, to look within and say, okay, like this is what I want in my life. These are the goals that I want. I don't care what, you know, random user on Instagram wants for me or my neighbor or my coworker, like this is what I want. And then you begin to see failure as just part of the process. I think a lot of people get caught up in failing because they end up, you know, intuitively doing something they, they know they shouldn't do because it's what somebody else wants for them. And then they see it as like a waste of time because they're like, oh man, I knew I shouldn't have done this because inside it wasn't what I wanted, right? And then going back to like the mental health part, for me, a lot of my childhood was traumatic and, and I blocked a lot of that out. But some of the stuff that I think would resonate with you and the audience on this subject of body image that people I think can relate to is, you know, I was always like the fat kid growing up and I never, girls never liked me. I was never athletic. And then once I went to jail and, you know, got into fitness and lost a bunch of weight, my, my goal was always to get like a six pack, big arms and, and look good so that I could be happy forever and date whoever I wanted to. And, you know, so on and so forth. Because if you had asked me when I was younger, when I was like 16, 17, like if there was a genie that said, Doug, I'll grant you these wishes. Like, what do you want? And I would say, I want to have a good body and I want to date pretty women. And I got to that point where I was incredibly ripped. I had like 5% body fat. But what people may not know is I was traveling to California. If I'm on the East Coast, so I was on a plane with like frozen chicken and broccoli because I was afraid of eating out. I would stay in on the weekends because I didn't want to eat anything unhealthy because I was afraid I was going to gain, you know, an inch or two. And deep down, I was still broken because I had still used an external substance, vanity, fitness, women, whatever, to fill that void that I never fulfilled myself inside. And I reached a point where I broke down. Like I literally like lost my mind because I couldn't take it anymore. Like I literally could not take it because it became this, this unhealthy obsession to where it was unmaintainable. And I was like, how am I ever going to be married and have kids with this lifestyle? So I don't know if you can relate to that at all. It looks like you're ready to say point something out. I want to ask you, what were the comments and what was the feedback like from people in your life about your body? I mean, people, I got the, the feedback was awesome. Yeah. People loved it. And that became like a high too, because, you know, I don't, and I don't know if anybody can relate to this who's listening or even you, Victoria, and some of the, you know, body transformations that you've gone through in your own life is that when you're somebody who didn't look a certain way, and then once you get to that point where you finally got that thing, you want to almost milk it as long as you can and say, look at this body, look at me, look at me. But that, that cup gets empty really, really quick. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because we live in this world where it's like, when I get this, then this, when I get that body, then I'll be happy. When I get this money, then I'll be happy. But it's like, none of that matters until you get the happiness with inside of you. And I think there's no issue with looking good in the mirror. I think that's the end goal of what everybody in life wants is to look in the mirror and be happy with who they look, what they look like. But you have to be 
happy on the inside just as much as you are on the outside. And that's where I think people get lost. Well, a few things. First of all, your your point of people like loved it. I mean, and that's the sad reality, right? Is that right. we look at someone's body and we assume their health and people probably looked at you when you were young and thought, oh, you don't work out and you don't treat yourself well and you must not be healthy. And then when you have this visible six pack, people think, oh, you must be so healthy and you must have this great life. And then you're, you know, coddling a frozen chicken on a flight, miserable and not going out on the weekends. And you're, that's not healthy, you know, but, but people are praising that. And so that's why I think it's so important to never really comment or praise someone for their body because you have no idea how they're achieving it. And that could be positively reinforcing these really bad toxic habits that someone has. So I never, ever compliment or comment on someone's body. I don't even care how good my friends look. I will never tell them their body looks good because that's just something I'm not going to do. And, but then secondly, you know, you said, I think everyone wants to look in the mirror and love what they see. And I'm not going to disagree with that. I just want to like add some color. Like, isn't that sad that we live in a world where society has convinced us that that's one of the most important things we can have in this world is a good reflection, specifically for women. You know, when you raise a little girl and you say, oh, you're such a pretty little girl. Your dress is beautiful. And when you see a little boy, you're like, oh, are you a strong boy? Do you like running fast? You know, we, it's such different messaging. And, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to remember that how they look is actually the least interesting, least important thing about them. And looking for deep, meaningful connections in this world, I don't think those are going to be found with with people who care about your look in the mirror, but they're people who want to see you for, like you said, on the inside, what makes you the happiest. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Organifi. Let's face it, doing what you can to strengthen your health and immune system is so important right now. This is why I have been taking the immunity blend from Organifi. I also want to say that you cannot supplement your way into immunity or wellness, so make sure that you're taking care of the other areas of your health too. With that said, so many of you are buying immune support supplements and most of them are honestly garbage. It's important to focus on quality. Organifi's immunity is 100% organic and contains clinically researched beta-glucans as well as 500% of your vitamin C intake and a healthy amount of ginger, turmeric, and zinc. This combination will certainly help to provide antiviral, antibacterial, and antifungal support and aid in immune function. I find it to be quite delicious and I've passed it along to some of my clients. And because it's made with real oranges, make sure to shake it up well so that it blends smoothly. To check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of immunity from Organifi, go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug for 20% off your Organifi order. That's www.organifi.com forward slash Doug for 20% off. Now back to the show. I agree. And I think it can certainly be very toxic to where if you only focus on what you see in the mirror and that's like your which you measure your level of success and happiness, and you're going to set yourself up for failure long-term. But I think, I guess what I wanted to ask is like, so how does somebody balance like that, but also not falling into the trap? Because we all know that exercise, moving your body, whatever way works for you, eating well, like it can do wonders for your mental health. It can improve how long you live. It can do so much in a positive way. Like, like how do you balance being somebody that just forgets what they look like in the mirror and then just goes off the rails and just doesn't take care of themselves when you know that that that's going to make them feel miserable inside. 
Well, there's so much to this. First of all, I think it has to come from your personal, like what makes you feel the best and what makes you feel at peace with yourself. So I'll use myself as an example. I personally don't like to praise my body or like give that too much attention to make me happy or sad. Like I don't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. I don't post like bikini pictures online that are like super flattering. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to praise that. I've spent a lot of time doing that. However, you know, do I love and appreciate a really cute outfit that fits me well? Yeah. Do I like to put on makeup for a special event? Yeah. That makes me feel good. That's just part of like what I've been conditioned, right? Like it's very hard to just be like, you know, I'm going to purposely make myself look bad or quote unquote, whatever that might be. Um, But can I put on makeup and a cute dress for an event and feel really awesome? Yes. And then the next day, can I take off my makeup and take off the dress and still feel awesome? Yes. And I think that's what's important is not feeling that we have to rely on a certain image all the time to make us feel happy or feel good enough. And then also I wanted to add, I wanted to add that, you know, this, this idea that like, we're going to you, like you said, you know, lose yourself. And, you know, I'm an intuitive eater, so I don't have any restrictions on what I eat, when I eat or how I eat. And when people hear that, they think, oh, I could never, I would have seven pizzas, five tubs of ice cream, a million cookies. Like if the gates are open, I'm going to blow up. And yeah, that's what they think. That's not what happens. Because if you were eat, if I was eating seven pieces of boxes of pizza and all the tubs of ice cream, would I feel great? No. Would I be listening to my body? No. Would I be feeling very uncomfortable and ton of discovery? Yes. You know, that would not feel good. If I'm actually listening to myself and thinking, what makes me feel good and energized and satisfied? Um, it's not seven boxes of pizza. Some nights it is pizza. Other nights it's a salad. Sometimes it's fruit. Sometimes it's cookies, you know? So I think people don't trust themselves because we haven't been taught to trust ourselves. We've been taught to do what the magazine says and what the detox says and what the fitness instructor says. And we never really ask ourselves, well, what do I want and what feels good for me? And it takes a lot of time to get back to that place when you spend so many years of your life only listening to others. And there's a few books on this. It's called Intuitive Eating that are phenomenal. Intuitive Eating by Elise Resch and Evelyn Tribolet, and then also any of Janine Roth's books. And both of those authors I've had on my podcast to, to dive into these things because it is very difficult. It's easy to understand, but then difficult to comprehend and put into action. Right. And I know you're a fan of Dr. Nicola Perra, who's been on the podcast before and, um, and just doing the work. And I guess, so, so do you think that along those lines of doing the work, do you think that a big reason for your success in being able to make this transition from, you know, having disordered eating and a lot of the, the body image stuff that you struggled with in your younger years to like now being able to do it in a way that's, that's healthy has from, has come from like doing a lot of the other inner work that's, that's helped your mental health. Yeah, I would say that taking action and wanting to figure things out and get to the bottom of things and and change my reality was huge for me, you know? And that's something that 
each person has to want to do. And you probably understand this as well. You probably had people telling you, oh, stop doing these drugs or stop doing this. And come on, you got to take, you got to do this, this, that. You can bring, you can drag someone into therapy, but they're not going to open up and listen to what the person's saying if they don't want to. You can, you can give someone everyone, they, everything they need to succeed and they might not take it to be successful because that's just, they're not ready. And that's something I've had to learn from my experiences from trying to help people who don't want the help is at the end of the day, each person has to dig deep and ask themselves, is this what I want for my life? And do I want to continue feeling this way? And if the answer is no, then what's that next step for them? You know, it's very personal. There obviously is stigma attached to a lot of these things that prevent someone from understanding they might need help or what might be going on. But once you do get to that place of understanding, each person has to take action for themselves. Yeah. And with food, it's, I think it's even more stigmatized because it's something that everybody needs to survive. You know, it's not like heroin where, you know, not everybody does heroin and some people could, you know, do it once and then never touch it again. And some people could, you know, do it for a long period of time and end up overdosing or developing a sincere, sincerely horrible habit. Like everybody eats food. So like, it's like, there's no running from it. So it's, it's hard, I think, for some people to come out and say, you know, I have a problem with, with food or the way I look. And cause inside they're like, how come every other person in the world can eat, you know, a certain way. And I can't, did you experience some of that? You know, everyone is different when it comes to the relationship with food. And I, I love that you pointed out, like everyone has to eat, right? There's two relationships we have to have in life. I have to, one is a relationship with ourselves and one's a relationship with food. Like you can't survive, you know? And if that's the case, well, why is there so much shame around eating right. and what we eat and how we eat? It's like one of the most analyzed, criticized, highly advertised, profited off of things is human beings eating fuel like and nutrients that they need for energy and, and life. And so, yes, everyone's relationship with food is different. and. It's important to not compare like someone else's plate to your plate or what they can eat to what you can eat. And also, I mean, that, that goes the same way. Like maybe there's a situation where you can't have the same, you can't eat the same thing someone else eats because it doesn't feel good in your stomach and you wish it did because it tastes good and it looks good. But it, when, every time you eat it, you just feel nauseous and you feel sick, but they can, that's a bummer. But there's also times where like, maybe I am able to eat my entire plate of food and my brother can't because he just got full and I had to say well that's okay Victoria I'm allowed to eat more than a guy I'm allowed to eat more than my brother because I listened to my body and this felt good for me and I ate it all and I still feel awesome so I did what I needed to do in my body so you know it's very important not to compare and contrast your relationship with food to someone else's because we all need different things right I mean it's it's so individualistic with everything in life and I think we, most people will spend, you know, three quarters of their life focusing on what other people are doing or what other people want from them instead of like looking within and, and really doing a deep dive on what they actually want or what works for them. Like what kind of things that they're, they're able to eat, what kind of exercises work best for their body and so on and, and so forth. And I think part of your ability to do that has led to your success in, in sharing your story, your success with the podcast, your success with the hidden opponent. So like what, what, 
got you started in wanting to really open up and, and share your story to help others? I think it was the feeling of like isolation and confusion and shame that I had alone for, for so long. And I didn't want someone else to have to feel that way. So opening up about what I went through really was me trying to put my story on the map so that someone could stumble across it on YouTube or Google or Instagram and then know that what they were going through secretly wasn't something to be ashamed of and was actually normal and was happening to a lot of people. So that's why I shared my story in the first place. And back when I first spoke up in 2017, you know, there wasn't a Naomi Osaka documentary and article, and there wasn't a Simone Biles Olympic situation going on. There wasn't a Cabin Love Players Tribune article. Like that stuff had not come out yet. And there really wasn't much that I could cling to when I needed the comfort the most. And so I wanted to be able to be a small speck of dust on the internet that someone else could cling to. Obviously, it's grown and evolved into something so much more than that, that I did not plan for. And I still blows my mind, but it's been amazing. And through it, I've found, you know, what I really do feel my purpose is, which is connecting and, and helping others. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And I, I think it's really incredible what you've been able to accomplish in just a short, short amount of time, just in like four years, right? Just having a TED talk that has a couple hundred thousand views. You have a podcast and a network. You have a social media platform that inspires you know millions of people. And it's, it's really admirable. And it, it, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you saw The Weight of Gold. Did you see that when it came out last year? Yeah, I had Apollo Ono on the podcast and he's become a friend. And, and we were talking about this very thing of, like the pressure of being a high level athlete and they'll send the best knee doctor in to fix an ACL or they'll send the best shoulder guy in to fix a torn rotator cuff. But when it comes to mental health, like a lot of these athletes are just left to fight on their own. And like the, the, the pressure that comes with being an athlete and not that, you know, it, I, I, and, and I think people will say, well, that's just par for the course. Well, I mean, it is in a way, but it's all, but you still have to deal with it somehow. So like, how do you deal with it? And there is no tools, right? There isn't a lot of, resources i mean especially back then i mean maybe there are more now because of this it's being less stigmatized i guess than it was like a decade ago so like i guess if if you were in charge of say like collegiate sports or youth sports or just schools in general with the the younger kids population is there anything that you would go back and kind of change i think that similar to what you and apollo talked about access to mental health care and resources should be just as present as access to those physical resources. Like the fact that every college team has an athletic trainer that is there to help them on staff. Yet there's two sports psychologists for an entire department. You know, those numbers are scarily different. And I think that access to mental health support is I think the most important thing that we can be doing and not everyone has that access you know we spent a lot of time today talking about therapy and that's great for those that can have it but not everyone can and even those who can get access to moderate level therapy are those counselors even good at what they do some therapists aren't good some aren't you have the credentials like I there are you know how many nutritionists out there 
have all the credentials and they're creating eating disorders in people like they're, you know, so I think that's another issue too, is like there are professionals few and far between that aren't the best. And so it's like there, there are so many layers to this issue, depending on your community, your socioeconomic status, what is provided to you at your university or, you know, your workplace. And that's where I think we need to solve a lot of these issues is providing access, providing access to resources that are helpful and that are good and that are sound. And then also, well, I was just going to say also, you know, helping people get to those resources by mitigating stigma. I do think we are. But however, I do think recently we are doing a great job of getting rid of that stigma. So now it's just, you know, once you encourage someone to seek help, can they seek help? And is the help going to help them? Right. Yeah. You're, and I think it's just access, right? It's just knowing that these these resources are available, like you said. And and just like if somebody's going to have an athletic trainer, a personal trainer, a flexibility coach, like. Why not have like a clinical psychologist? Why not have a a therapist on staff that where it's like very open and in an encouraging environment so that if somebody's really struggling with anxiety, depression, stress, stuff at home, that they have like the ability to to go like engage in some professional help. So it seems that like a lot of the stuff that you battled with um when you were in college came from like the competitive nature of sports and like wanting to be the best, I heard you say. So how have you navigated all that being in the personal development space where it's kind of like a sport? There's so much competition online. There's a million podcasts. Like what are, what have been some of your best practices in current time? Yeah, I love that question. I, just, I obviously struggle with it. You know, so many things come to mind. First of all, you said personal development space. I do think that there is a space online and I like won't name names, but there are just creators and influencers and big voices out there who are known to be motivational and like happy answers. And like, that's what they do. I, and I, Doug, you can tell me what you think of this. I could never do that. I could never be someone who is like the go-to how to fix your life and empower you. And you have it within like I, that feels phony to me because I don't even feel like I have it within most days. I never want to be someone that, that has to be that for others. And I think in a very clutch way, because it wasn't intentional. My platform isn't really about that. I'm glad that it gives people inspiration and motivation sometimes, but I do think I am just a girl who is figuring out life candidly. And that helps people because they're like, oh, this girl who's successful and who is inspirational, look at her, she's anxious today. I'm anxious today. You know, I, I think what I do is about being honest and vulnerable. And, and not having it perfect all the time. And so that has been a huge help to me is that I do feel like I built something that is a perfect mirror of what my life is actually like. So I'm not trying to upkeep something that's false. So that mitigates a lot of stress. I also think, you know, in terms of like wanting my podcast to get lots of listeners and growing followers, I struggle with that. I, I get caught up in, you know, what am I accomplishing? Like at some point of the, at some uh, point you are a business person and I think people forget that about me like yes like I didn't just this didn't happen overnight like my TED talk has a lot of views that happened over time you know my Instagram platform you know how much strategy and and time and equipment purchasing and and tutorials and filming and everything went into developing what I have now I think a lot of people on TikTok blow up overnight and that's amazing and in a weird way like, you know, it would have been nice if that was there for me three, four years ago and I could have gone viral over TikTok and had a platform. It did it. You know, I, I, I've been at this for years. So 
there is strategy that goes into it. There is analyzing and calculating and thinking about performance and what's good content and what's captivating content and what's clickbait. So I do have to go back and forth between putting on my business hat and then putting on my human hat because those are the two things I'm working with, right? I'm a business person who has found um, a unique way to connect with people on this human level. So I go back and forth. I think at the end of the day and something that I just got a piece of advice from a mentor that was really helpful to me, Sid, who is Gary V's head of brand. He's awesome. If you guys know Gary V, Sid is his right hand. And I was talking to Sid and he, I was talking to him about burnout because Gary Vee to me is someone who like, when does the guy stop? He never stops. And I just, I look at it like, God, Gary Vee wouldn't be crying in his bed today, but here I am, you know, and he's someone who I, I know from meeting him and my boyfriend worked for him. He's my fiance. I gotta use that. He is very genuine. Like Gary Vee is actually a machine. Like he, I don't think he's putting on any facade. I think that's just how he is. He's, he's an animal. And I was talking to Sid about burnout. And, you know, he said to me, it's not about gaining two followers tomorrow. It's being in a position to gain two followers in 20 years. You know, it's not about putting out a YouTube video tomorrow. It's about being in a position to put out a YouTube video in 20 years. And I think the point of that is like, it is a it is a long game. And because social media is so fast paced and someone goes viral here and there's a, a trend to hop on, we feel like we have to constantly be going. But it was helpful for me to know, like, there's going to be more trends. There's going to be more things to post out. There's, it's going to be there. But are you going to be there with it? And that's important to me. I want to be there with it in 20 years. And so I really, I really have not been doing a lot the past few weeks. I felt burnt out. I'm kind of getting over I'm a minor cold right now. I haven't posted a TikTok in a week. So that makes me stressed. But I also have to work through it and, and understand that Similarly to how I preached about not comparing before, I can't compare right now. There's a million things I'm doing that other creators aren't doing. There's things they're doing that I'm not doing. We are all different. And that's kind of what I have to come back to. Doug, I know that answer was all over the place, which just goes to show, I, you know, my mind spins on how to balance this every day. Oh, and I appreciate your vulnerability and opening up because as you were sharing your story earlier on and talking about this competitive nature and how you always wanted to be the best and being perfect, I'm like, well, crap, like, how do you manage the podcast space? Because that's something even myself that, you know, it's funny when you start a podcast, I don't know if you felt this way. You're like, I'm not going to compare. I don't care about numbers. Like, I just want to do it to help people. And then you start it and then you quickly like fall into the, not the I don't want to say it's the trap because you're right. It is a business. Like, you know, our livelihood in some way depends on the internet in, in some way, right? So we have to kind of pay attention right. to it. And you, you brought up a good point about the personal development industry in that there's, a, there's certain people that all they do is just, they're, they're like online cheerleaders and they're like, rah, rah, like do this, do that. And I think there's a place for some of that. And I think there's some days that that probably helps people. But I think the majority of the time and why I think your content really hits home is because you share a little bit of everything, right? And you're not just getting on and just sharing a sob story of how poor your life is. I think you provide like tangible tools and, and ways for people to climb out of the same holes that, that you've been in before, right? Or how you're like actually getting through what you're doing. And, and that, that's what I think hits home with people. You know, I always, I used to do some coaching and I would consult with like people who were trying to build like online health fit businesses. And and they would just post like pictures of their shakes and like hoping to get clients. And I'm like, the people who are not in the gym and wanting to start eating better, 
aren't going to care about your shake. They're going to resonate with why you got into health in the first place. They're going to resonate with the person who was struggling with depression, with the way they felt about themselves and how a com- joining a community of people and moving your body like helped bridge that gap and helped you get better. And I think that's just exactly what you were saying. I think, you know, I, I tend to follow more people that are just real and raw because that's what I resonate with. And about the podcasting that you said, what helps me is remembering that these are human beings. It's very easy. Like you said, we have to think it's a livelihood. Like brands are like, how many followers do you have? What's your engagement? Like you have to think about it. And you have to think about, you know, what kind of light that's going to afford you. But at the end of the day, like if you have like 10 listeners on a podcast, and this is for people listening who are starting podcasts or, you know, whatever it is in content, that's 10 human beings who like, showed up and listened and cared what you had to say. And even if you talk about like 500 views on a video, people are like, oh, I only got 500 views. Think about an auditorium of 500 people who all sat down to press play on what you made. That's a lot of people. And I try to get away from like this, oh, I hit a million followers because like, okay, well then what was 9999 to you? Like nothing? No, that was 900,999, 100 people. Like, that's a lot of people. And I'm not just going to celebrate when I hit this one number that, like, has been made a cliche by all these creators. Like, these are humans. I think that helps me too. It's like, even when I post something and it quote unquote doesn't do well, I'm like, okay, Andre, that was 8,000 people who did resonate and 30 people who did comment that this helped them. That has to be enough. And so, you know, I would just, for anyone listening who's, who's upset with how their views are, their numbers, their follows, just remember that those are human beings. And like, you are changing one life is changing enough. And also the best way to grow is to serve your, your current community because if you serve those 10 people to the freaking fullest guess what they're gonna call their buddy up oh hey this person their instagram you gotta see it they bring in your 11th they bring in your 12th people focus too much on trying to bring in these people that aren't there that they don't take care of the people that are showing up for them i have to remind myself that all the time like i'm trying to get like on instagram everyone wants a million followers on instagram like everyone Obviously, I would love to have million bars on Instagram, but if I spend my days trying to recruit and nurture and and create something for the 700,000 people that aren't here yet, what about the 350,000 that are there right now that like that are there? They're saying, hi, Victoria, I'm here for you. Am I not enough? And so I have to wake up and say, I'm going to serve you to the fullest. And I hope you bring in someone because I, you know what I'm saying? And so I think about that a lot, a lot, and I think it's easy to get distracted by numbers and by what we want and then not take care of uh, and serve what we have. Yeah. And just making sure you're staying true to who you are and integrity. Like it's easy for people to post like a certain pic that they know that'll get a bunch of likes, but it's like, are you posting the post that's actually going to create impact? And I know for you, you were fortunate to have like your brother, like kind of call you out on your BS, right? You were getting ready to post like a bikini photo and I think he was like essentially just asking why you were doing it. And you just openly admitted that you were just doing it for the likes, right? Which, by the way, my brother all the time is like, so what am I getting my like 10% commission on everything you do? (laughs) (laughs) He always says that. He's like, it wouldn't be anything if it weren't for me. I'm like, okay. That's funny. And, And I think like a pivotal moment for you as I'm looking at your story, 
you know, I, I look at these moments sometimes in people's like transformations that have allowed you to kind of get to where you are today, but just also like persevere. And I think for you, it was like your decision to return and play volleyball, where there's a lot of people in that moment when they had experienced like some severe hardship or mental health issues, they would have just said, you know what, it's best for me just to withdraw and quit and try something else. And, and while I think that's okay in some circumstances, I think persevering, persevering and finishing something, even though it freaking sucks, will teach you things and create inner strength in you that is irreplaceable. So I guess going back to that moment where you decided to come back, like, like what inside of you, like really sparked that fire to finish things out? There were a lot of external factors that lined up to help me make that decision. Like, for example, there was a whole new coaching staff, which felt to me like a clean slate. Like I was like, ooh, I'm going to be a freshman again, knowing everything I know now. Like, how can I do it differently? You know, it just, it did feel like it was going to be a totally new experience because I had time off. I'd gotten better mentally. I'd weaned off my meds. There was a whole new coaching staff. It was one more semester. I just felt like I could do this. And, you know, how could I do it differently? I will say, I don't think I would have been able to persevere if I didn't give myself that break. And a lot of people fear quitting or giving up or taking a break because they think that that's failing. But if that's allowing you to do something else in your life or complete something later on or have the energy later on, that's part of it, you know? And I, and I always remind people like, you know, oh, you did four years, even with everything you went through. Yeah, I did four years, but I took a two month, three month break where I walked away and it was ugly and people were upset with me and it felt like quitting to get to my fourth year and to persevere. So, you know, I think the only way I was able to do that and, and be resilient in that way was because I got to recharge and I gave that to myself. And to anyone in your life right now who feels like you need that break, give it to yourself. And And, and at the end of the day, it is going to feel selfish. It is. You are doing something for yourself, but selfish has such a negative connotation. And we very little in our lives, honestly, do things for ourselves. And when it comes to your mental health, yes, please put yourself first. And people that are compassionate and that love you will be clapping for you on your way out the door and they'll be waiting for you to come back. People that don't get it and are envious and could never do that for themselves will be upset with you. But at the end of the day, like, you do have to put yourself first sometimes and that will inevitably allow you to succeed in the end. Yeah. You're, it's like people have this, this idea that when they quit, it just means their life's over when, and really they're just quitting in that moment to, to, to practice the pause and maybe take some time to reflect, take some time to go within, take some time to like work on whatever it was that got them to that door that just wouldn't open for them. And, and I think, you know, as long as you're, it's okay to like take a break. You know, as long as you're still on the sidelines, it's all good. Just don't retire. Don't completely give up on your life. And I think that's just essentially what, what you just said and, and kudos to you. And I think part of it too, is I just think deep rooted inside of you is this like inner athlete that will always be there that you're just like, I'm not going to freaking lose. I'm not going to quit on myself. Like there'll be times where right. I have to take a break or there'll be times where I might lose this game or this set or whatever, but I'm not quitting the game. I'm going to come back. And I guess I want to kind of wrap our conversation with, you have a podcast, it's called The Real Pod, where you have like real conversations with real people and you help, you know, essentially it seems like create a narrative to 
invite people to just connect with you and whoever it is you're interviewing on different struggles and and using your your message as a way to help other people get better. So talk a bit about like your mission behind the podcast and um like why it's why it's so important to you. Yeah, the podcast really was a way to invite other people to have their conversations and share their stories and be real about what is they're going through. Obviously, my Instagram is about me, like most people's Instagram accounts are. And I do these things called real posts, which are just like no filter, honest takes on what is happening at the moment. And I wanted to give others the opportunity to do that as well. And so and and to bring that to life, really, and make a real post into something more. And that became RealPod, which is a place where anyone can kind of like pull back the curtain and have that conversation and share what's really on their mind. And it's been so great to watch it like come to life and to have these cool connections with others and have people really listen to the show. And I know you probably know how much work goes into a podcast. And and the thing about a podcast is you don't have that instant gratification. There's no likes or comments really. So you just wait to see the numbers come in and out like how many people listened, but you don't even get to really hear from them or what they thought. And so it is this unique thing where like, I really do view it as my baby. I love it so much. And it really means so much to me for to anyone who does take the time to listen because it takes a lot of work and people come to to share their stories, to have those be heard. So it's been overall just a really cool experience. And I think there's a lot to be said for having the courage to not only put yourself out there, but then put yourself into a space where, where not, you're now you're interviewing other people and you're getting their stories. And then I think as a byproduct of that, you're opening up about different parts of your journey that you might not even share about just because you hear something that somebody else said and you're like, ooh, like I went through that too and I completely forgot about it. And now you're opening up and it creates this this healthy and healing dialogue, I think, between two people that now people who are on the other end of it who are actually human beings, they get so much more value when the conversations are real and, and raw. And have you found that? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where most people in life do find connections is with the quote unquote, like failures or setbacks from other people. You know, it's not easy for someone to like, no one can relate when you say, oh, and she gave a TED talk. People are like, oh, that's so cool. They don't relate to me. When you say, oh yeah, but it was about like feeling really anxious and depressed, like in a situation that was supposed to be everything. Oh, whoa, I felt that way too, you know? And so the way that we can connect with others, and this is like, you know, 101 Brené Brown is vulnerability. Right. Amazing. And, I, and I've, I've appreciated, I've really appreciated your vulnerability in our conversation today. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. I mean, you're just an open book, which I love. So if people want to connect with you more besides the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at Victoria Garrick and TikTok Victoria Garrick 4. And honestly, through both of those, I'm sure in my like link tree or whatnot, there's a portal to everything else. And my website's victoriagarrick.com. But just, yeah. And then if they don't go anywhere, that's really fine. I thank them for listening to this episode um, today. It was great to chat with you. And thanks for having me on. Of course. And for those listening, I would definitely want you to go check out Victoria, listen to her podcast, give her a follow, and then take a screenshot, share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that she said about her journey. Maybe it was something that she said about body image, health, mental health, whatever it was. Tag her, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.